0: actually really empowering coming back from the injury because I you know that moment when I first made sounds again after all that time of voice rest was really powerful yeah I just I just feel really grateful for that experience because it also put me in check about wanting to learn more about the voice about people making sounds about why we make sounds and how we make sounds and how it all works Life sometimes gives us things that we think we're not supposed to be in, or we're like going through a hoop that we're supposed to jump in. That doesn't mean we can't grow, learn, meet good people, you know, experience wonder and curiosity along the way, in whatever Mm -hmm. spot we're in and in whatever hoop we're going through. Welcome to Sing, Coach, Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers.
1: Hello, singers and singing teachers. Thank you for listening to Sing, Coach, Conduct. I'm your host, Megan Farrison. That was my friend Katie Travis. When we graduated from school, most of us were planning to go to grad school or we were moving to the area where we had gotten our first job. Katie was planning to move to New York City with no job, only her dreams of one day becoming a professional performer. And I'm so excited to say that those dreams did come true. Katie eventually landed the role of Christine Daae in the national tour of Phantom of the Opera. But before that, she had lots of joys and disappointments, some odd jobs, and some really cool ones, like nannying for Kelly O'Hara. In this episode, Katie shares her journey of becoming a Broadway performer and how a vocal injury took her down an unexpected path. I'm so excited for you to hear the stories and wisdom from this incredible woman. Enjoy. Hi, Katie. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, It's just so good to see your face. And I'm just excited to talk about the things that you've done in your life and and who you are as a person. And so please uh, tell me about your story. Yeah.
0: So uh, I'm originally from Bay City, Michigan, where I am currently in my childhood bedroom, which is kind of wild. So I'm from Bay City. I... uh, grew up here i did um i went to an elementary school where my dad was my principal and um (laughs) yeah that was uh it was actually pretty wonderful for some things and then also like you know rough for some other things but (laughs) that's fine uh (laughs) we're all dealing with childhood whatever so um yeah so i did theater here in the bay County area and in Midland as well and um, I had two uh, my both of my parents are well they are retired now but they were public school educators and uh, they both my brother and I my brother is also a musician and um, does work in for the Midland Center for the Arts Um, and uh, my parents just told us that we could do anything and they really believed in that and believed in us, and um if there was some way they couldn't find the resources they would they would make a way. they would make a way for us to take the lessons and and in that way, we were very privileged and lucky to be able to to do that and um, we there was a community of artists and young people who just wanted to create, and so we did shows at the BC players through. Stages of Discovery was a program, the youth theater program, um, shows at Midland Center for the Arts. I kind of, both, both, both my brother and I, I mean, we just grew up performing together and I felt like I was always kind of a, just a sponge to want to learn more. Mm -hmm. Um, what I will say is pretty early on, it's funny, my, my brother was a boy soprano and he was, he is a fabulous singer. And, um, you know, they, the Boy Sopranos, who are great, are pretty rare, especially in this area. So he was, like, a su- mega superstar in, this era- in the Bay County area. <laughs> and he was, like, performing all over. And he performed in the Michigan Opera Theater as a kid. And, like, you know, he was, like, doing fancy things. And I would audition for those things. And I wouldn't get it. And, um, I remember there were shows like in Midland and he was like the lead in and I wouldn't get in. And so I, I actually, um, there's so much of that, I think that prepared me for the life that I chose, um, at a pretty early age. Um, and so for all of the experiences I had, I also had, you know, tough goes and things didn't work out pretty early on. So, um, I say that just because everything seems so like glitzy and fancy and uh for all the glitz and pants there's also um rejection and and whatever we're calling failure um so then i uh i spent my summers i was very lucky again um that i had parents who supported me um and supported my music education but i spent my summers a couple i had a couple summers at blue lake and i did the camps there and i did The choir program and the voice program there, and that was really awesome. And just it was awesome to be around a lot of people from all over the state of Michigan, and to uh, make music with them was really exciting and cool. And uh, and then I spent my high school summers at Interlochen, and that was really, really life changing. Just to meet so many people from around the world, and like. like there were people from countries I didn't even know existed and there were you know all sorts of people living from all sorts of lifestyles that came together and it was culturally a really um bountiful experience for me as a young high schooler and um I remember even you know they have like their art season at the at at Interlochen and so you know you go to the concerts and um I remember I saw a Melissa Etheridge concert, and I had never seen, I, I don't think I had ever met a lesbian before, and actually learn just getting to know people from all different lifestyles, it was so um pivotal and crucial and like seeing I, it was really I don't know really important for me to see this Melissa Etheridge concert and to see all these <laughs> awesome women like mm-hmm. just holding hands and being themselves and being unique and and authentic to who they were and um not being afraid to show that and that was a really um important exploratory time for me as an artist and an important time of learning compassion and empathy for people that came from backgrounds outside of my own and that to me is the um pivotal and crucial point of being an actor Mm -hmm. so then uh i i i I share this story because uh i i work with a lot of high schoolers who um go through the college audition process and um, i work also with college students who have been through that process um And I, I understand that it's a really um, intense process and sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes it's not so wonderful for people depending on their situation. And I, I say that you can come out however way you come out. But anyway, let me tell you, let me tell you the story. So I, uh, I spent the last, the summer before my senior year, I was at Interlochen and I was working with all these teachers and I had like a whatever a principal role in some show or something there I, I can't even remember what it was but I had like a, I had like solo or something and I like thought I was the shit you know because I'm an interlocking and,
1: um, <laughs> and how old were you right in this story right now so
0: gonna be a senior so okay. how old are we when we're gonna be a senior like
1: like uh, 17. 17 17
0: sure yeah thought I was a shit um, and, uh, so, and I, you know, worked with some teachers there. And so we started coming up with a game plan of schools I was auditioning for and schools I would apply for. And again, my parents, like truly amazing people who drove me across the country. We went to the, all these auditions. I, I auditioned at 10 schools and I only got into central Michigan. Um, and so I, uh, I knew who Mary Keesgan was through my high school voice teacher, and um so I went and had a lesson with her, and I was feeling really shitty, frankly. um I just felt um so down on that experience and what I thought was gonna happen for me and like what my plan was for me. And then what the reality actually was. And um, I had a hard, like, um, fall of freshman year was pretty hard. And, um, but Mary really worked with me in a way that really challenged me. She We worked, um, I love, I love reading, I love poetry. And so we worked from a text-based place. And the material we picked, she really helped me choose material that I just Mm -hmm. loved to sing. Um, That would challenge me vocally, but that I just loved to sing. And so that was um, really important in my growth and experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that I had a lot to learn and I had a lot to work through vocally. I had a lot of tension and tightness and... um, um, just like I wasn't working from a, well, a text based, text driven place. I was just like singing songs and like doing it very tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's important to reflect back on things because honestly, you can't always, you know, why someone, you know, auditions at 10 schools and doesn't get in. You can't always, there's not always a reason. Um, and sometimes it's just, who knows there's a particular number they're looking for of Sopranos whatever you don't know you don't know and you can't justify it but you can look back at your own work and say what can I do next time to be better and so um it was a lot of self-reflection in that way um it was sort of kind of the first layer of that uh And then I was really lucky, Megan, we got to do so many great shows together. And I was really lucky and got to do musicals and opera and operetta. And we got to, we, there was an awesome group of people that collaborated and Mm -hmm. made music in a really wonderful, beautiful way, challenging way. And um, I, I, there was sort of a, yeah, there was like a time of like, sitting in my own, we'll say S-H-I-T. I've said shit already. So there's a time of like sitting in it and you just like, you, you, you know, like my meditation teachers talk about this a lot. It's like when you're meditating and you're feeling itchy or anxious or whatever, that's, um, kind of this like first like superficial layer of like sitting in your crap basically. Cause you're sitting mm-hmm. for a minute and you're able to like, let it fester in the thoughts and the things. So, um, But from there comes really great growth. And so that's what I think um, happened in this time at CMU. On top of having a lot of great performance experiences and working with good people like you, my friend. Um, Yay.
1: And and the people were wonderful, weren't they? I mean, just they were great to work with. And we had so many this wonderful down to earth friends. Well, and that's the thing about CMU, I think that um, it's unassuming because it isn't U of M. It isn't this But But there are lots of people that have come out of CMU who have gone on to do, you know, have gone, look at you, you know, look at I mean, we could say other names. But you know, the point is, is that I think in some ways, some people got more personal attention because they were at a smaller school, instead of going to a larger school, where it's like, okay, I got in, but then you're a number yes. and and then you don't get the attention that you need to then grow and become the person that you, you know, that you, or the musician that you could become. Do you, do you think that's what happened with you at, the, at CMU?
0: Yeah, I think that there was room to explore and room to um, grow sort of in my own way. Whereas like I see some of my students like some of the students at Penn State where they're in this like really intense cohort and I see Mm -hmm. sometimes there's like um there's there's wonderful benefits to it right where you're like kind of always sort of in like neck and neck with somebody and you're like you know working on these things with somebody else and I think there's there's definitely pros to that but I think what worked for me in that time that was pretty vulnerable honestly um was to be able to kind of trailblaze a little bit on my own and like make the trail you know Mm -hmm. and um that was really beneficial and i also there was a lot of individualized attention um so that was really important and yeah i mean it's like and i i just i say that story because for all of the high school students going through that process um and similarly to the college students going through the showcase process before moving to wherever they move, um, it doesn't have to be everything. So much of that experience is what you make it. You know, even when or if you get an agent, you're you're still doing a lot of that back work, mm-hmm. and it's not. You know, so it's like you can. There's a way you can make it work if you don't get into your dream school, and there's a way you can make it work if maybe when you first do a showcase you don't get an agent or you don't get your top pick of whatever that is Um, and and even I'm sure it's similar in the education field too there might be like dreams dream schools dream jobs you want to work but maybe there's a reason and I don't I don't really know if there's a reason for everything I haven't I haven't figured out life yet Um, but what I can say is that uh, if something doesn't work I ha- I I have to trust. I have to trust God, the universe, whatever, whoever is out there that like I am supposed to be at this other place to do important work and to care about the people I'm around in whatever that space is. Mm-hmm. Um and even if it's hard or not what I expected or thought I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um and that is not always easy. Um but it is it's a way to actually put care and time into spaces that you're in, even if you think it's
1: a transition point, or even if you think it's not the place you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Um, I mean, cause again, I can't believe I didn't know this about you, that you auditioned for 10 schools and got into the one. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm so glad that that's the school you went to because we know each other, but, but looking at your life, you were always right where you were supposed to be, even when you yeah. were frustrated and it, it forced you to, to sit in it and to deal with it and to grow as a person because if you would have gotten what you really wanted, then things might be different. You know, yeah, we, for we don't sure. know.
0: For sure. And like I say, it's like there are there are people who are meant to go to Michigans and CCM's and Carnegie's mm-hmm. and Penn States and you know, there are people for every place there are people meant to be there. Yeah. Um And, and so trying to make sure that even, even when it's tough and you're, you know, working six day jobs to try to have a positive energy in, in (laughs) that space too, you know, like, because I've been there and we'll talk about that in a minute, but you know, it's just, um, life, life sometimes gives us things that we think we're not supposed to be in, or we're like, going through a hoop that we're supposed to jump in that doesn't mean we can't grow learn meet good people you know experience wonder and curiosity along the way in whatever Mm -hmm. spot we're in and in whatever hoop we're going through you know you know I was around a lot of folks at CMU that were kind of there were like a couple different paths it was like uh continue with student teaching become an educator, which is fabulous, go to grad school for opera, which is fabulous. Um, but there weren't a lot of people in the, in the school of music that were just like making a move, um, to somewhere without a job <laughs> <laughs> or, or uh, schooling, you know what I mean? Um, and I deep down really felt like that was what I was supposed to do, but also, I was scared, and also I wanted to keep options open, so I auditioned for grad schools, and um, I got in, I really wanted to go to Manhattan School of Music, and I got in, which was like, yay, like, good experience, woo hoo! <laughs> and um, I just, like, really felt the right thing to do for me was to defer, um, and to move to New York, and um, learn by doing through the audition process and to just go um and so and again like that sort of fork in the road i think happens in various points of all of our lives i know it does um and it's just really important to like listen to that silent little voice um because there's no there's no wrong way but there is a way that deep down you probably know is right for you and um i don't know we we need we need all of those paths right like we need people to do those all those different directions um and we need individuals to follow their own path you know and individuals follow their own path whatever that is you know and so um so i moved and uh i didn't go to grad school and right away um and I started auditioning. I I had done I had done some summer programs in, at CMU because what I will say is the benefits of there of going there, which we talked about, were um, individualized attention, a lot of performance experience, um, mm-hmm. the flexibility to kind of make things work both in cro- in crossover. Um, Mm-hmm. Musical theater and opera, and kind of making it work for for me, individualized pathway, we'll say. But I think, um, you know, it is hard when you are removed from a big city or an area where there's a lot of auditions or or where there's not a ton of alumni that are out there doing it in that in that sort of way. Um, now, where so, were you living
1: when you moved? What did where did you move to?
0: Yeah. So, okay. So this is why I say what was really key in my journey there was doing summer programs in college. So Mm -hmm. I did, um, Mm -hmm. that program at Bayview, uh, which was awesome. And forgive me, I think it's, it's, it's either in Petoskey or like very close to Petoskey and, um, they have like a summer, artist program there and um, it's fabulous. It was great training and I worked on arias and did a couple roles and things and that was awesome. Um, I did a program called Canta in Italia which was run by the faculty at Wichita State and that was really great. I had Italian lessons and classes Mm. and um, I had voice lessons every day which was a cool, it was like the bel canto style of having lessons um, every day, which was really neat. Um, and then I did college Late opera company. So that was like operetta and musical theater, um, and just like getting roles on your resume. So, um, again, very lucky to have parents who supported that journey and who helped me do those programs, um, and recognizing and owning up to that level of privilege of having that support. Um, so when you asked about where I moved, uh, I knew a few people who lived in New York because I, there were a few people from my hometown that had moved. And there were a few people who did the program at college late opera company with me. And then one friend that did the, which anyway, the different summer programs I did, there were a couple people from each program that moved to New York. So one of the I think I, like, posted on Facebook that I was moving, and if anyone knew of, like, an apartment, let me know. Like, I'm pretty sure it was, like, that. Uh Um, And uh, my friend Amanda Coleman, who was a costume designer at College Light Opera Company, was like, actually, I'm looking for a roommate. And so um, I lived with Amanda for a year in Brooklyn, and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. You know, I, like got there and I just I had this restaurant job that was a shit show and like my first paycheck bounced and I almost couldn't pay my rent for the first month there and like again you're like I'm thinking the world's crashing on me and and yet having truly the most fun of my life like mm-hmm. just so much fun um getting into some good trouble with some of my friends like just being like a young 20-something in New York City like come on it was awesome (laughs) um and uh yeah it was awesome and so then I got um I worked a lot of temp jobs and then I got I got a nanny job that was pretty great for I did that for years in and out with this one family that was really um fabulous and helpful towards my journey but within like six months or something. Cause I didn't even really have headshots that were usable. My book was not the greatest shape. So I had to really, do, I had to do a lot of work because, and I think a lot of students go through this journey of playing roles in college that maybe not aren't. So like, you know, I played Kate and kiss me Kate, which I um, looked 12 when I was doing <laughs> that role. And she's, 40 something years old. Well, guess what? In New York City, there are 40 year olds to do that. So, um, that's not even a role. That's like, I had some of her stuff in my book. Like, take that out. Not something that I would be doing at that point in time. Um, So, you know, I I had a lot of revamping work to do, and I had a voice teacher that I had met again, one of the summer programs that I did. Um, And she really helped kind of revamp my book get my rep set so that it felt age appropriate and um i started just doing pay you know pay one time to do a class with such and such a casting director sing this song get feedback talk about it why it works why it doesn't work i started taking acting class i took dance at, at steps in broadway dance center um you know i was like building a training from the training that maybe was lacking in some ways from from a voice degree um Mm. and I found that it was starting to pay off like I was I worked at a, a small opera company in the city pretty early on in my journey and then this the first summer I did a um summer stock and um it was so much fun I had such a blast and uh and then I came back and I kept auditioning again and and then sort of the same kind of thing would happen like every winter and every summer there'd be work. And then in the kind of in, in between times I'd be auditioning and nannying and working temp jobs. And I was an elf at Santa land and I worked <laughs> so many weird jobs. I cleaned apartments. There was one, I, I worked for a temp company who would just like send you on jobs. And, um, there was one moment where I was like working so many odd jobs and I, called my brother it was in the middle of a blizzard and they sent us out to like basically the east coast equivalent to bertrand like the outlets mm-hmm. and there were these outlets that they sent us to to just they wanted like pretty girls to like flyer like send out flyers and so i was um sending out flyers for like Jake crew in the middle of a blizzard and no one was there Like no one was there. And actually Um, the person I gave the flyer to, the woman was like, this is wrong that you're doing, like, this is not cool. Like, this is really not cool. Um, Granted, again, there are a lot more difficult jobs out there in the world. And there are people that mm -hmm. do that every day and all the time. But I had a moment where I was like, Ooh, I have to like start reframing how it's not just about like making money. I have to start thinking about like what's feeding into what's helping me be a better artist. Um, not just like what's quickly paying my rent, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, um, got really lucky and, um, okay. So, all right. Now after this, at this point, I actually had worked a job in, uh, Wisconsin at a regional theater and I, um, long story short, I didn't have health insurance at the time. And I had a, um, just some sort of like suspicious thing on one of my breasts that I needed to get checked out. And um, that was found at a Planned Parenthood at a, um, um, because they do a signing scale uh, yearly exam. And um, the person there said, you know, you really need health insurance. It was before the pre-existing conditions law had passed. And um, if you, if this is something like this, a it's a problem. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to get health insurance. So what I, uh, what I did was I, um, I moved to, I wanted to be, I had a, I had a breast specialist I really liked that was in Illinois and I had family that was in Chicago. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend an audition season in Chicago and I'm going to take care of some health stuff and get health insurance and take care of my life. And, uh, take some classes in Chicago and explore Chicago. So I sort of used it as a way to like, all right, let's like reframe a little bit. I'm gonna live in Chicago for a minute. And so I did and the health stuff all turned out okay. And, um, you know, luckily, thankfully, and, um, but I say it, cause it's actually kind of a weird twist in my journey, but I took classes at Chicago Shakespeare. It was that they were really pivotal and important for me in my journey. And um, I was really close to St. Louis because I was in Chicago so I drove to the Muni for their open call and um, that's when I got my equity card I got the job doing playing Cosette at the Muni and um, that was with Norm Lewis and Hugh Pinero who were um, Broadway phantoms for a long time and so I sort of got I was sort of in that world where I thought like oh my god I like I could do this at like this level okay and, you know, in doing that show, it was for, I don't know the exact number of seats at the Muni, but it's like over 10,000 seats. And, um, because they're, it's outdoors. And so it's like this outdoor amphitheater. And, um, it was just the most wonderful time. It was just so special doing that show and doing it with those people and doing it for so many people. And I was like, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. So I uh, went back to New York at that point. And, uh, I, yeah, we're, we're telling the story and it's funny. So at some point before the Muni, I actually had took some, I took some time off and I did some volunteer work, um, in West Africa, um, because I was tired of living in New York, which then like pivoted some part of my journey to go to Chicago. But anyway, got the Muni, came back to New York. Um, I thought I was the shit again and I thought I was going to get an agent right away. And I thought I was like in a book Broadway right away. Um, <laughs> and I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Um, and so my, I did meet, however, some really awesome people at the Muni who really believed in me and, um, sent my information to their agents. So, one, someone I knew had sent my information to their agent multiple times. They didn't respond. The only thing they said was I, we have to see her in something. So I paid to do a pay to do showcase agent showcase. And, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Tell yeah. me,
1: tell me what that is. Cause that's a new, new thing. Yeah. So me.
0: that's, uh, the growing studio does them still and they're, um, they're awesome, and they coach you and work you through rep and material and then you do these pay to do showcases and um that agent came because i said i was you know this person that's the, that person that you've been being pestered about is doing the showcase and so they came and then we um signed i signed with my agent who is still my agent mm. um and so then uh i within that year, I was getting a lot. I he, I, he, got me a lot of appointments. I was starting to like get some momentum, like things were grooving. Um, I did the Lata of competition and I was one of the, um, the Lisi Monet award, which was one of the singing actor awards. Um, and I won a lot of money to be able to mm. use towards training. And, um, and so I quit a job that at that point kind of wasn't right for me. And, um, I got a job nannying for Kelly O'Hara, which was awesome, and she's awesome. That and, is so um, cool. She's awesome, and she was always caring and wanting to know about auditions I was on and things I was, mm-hmm. you know, getting seen for, and um, and once I did that, it's funny, because I, I talk about this because there was sort of a a, way, a job in which I was spending a lot of my time um, as a way to make money, right? Pay my rent. And, um, it was starting to feel like it was not, it was not making me happy. And I was definitely like transferring that into my auditions. Like I was not, I was not feeling good in my life. And then I was transferring into my auditions. And so I got this job with Kelly nanny, and it like shifted everything. Then all of a sudden I was like, the, the day so I was in for Phantom many times, and we'll talk about this. But um, the day of my Phantom audition that I ultimately got the job, I also had a f- callback. I was in the final callbacks for that sh- sideshow revival on Broadway that was like, I don't know, seven years ago or something. Mm-hmm. But it was the same day. Like, I had the sideshow audition in the morning. I, like, warmed up by singing sideshow. And then in the afternoon or evening, I, it was probably the afternoon at some point, I did this Phantom audition. And um, it was like something shifted because I was feeling better in my own life and I was feeling um, more positive and around people, um, both in my friend life, but also like just the way I was spending my time making my money for rent was working for Kelly, who was invested and cared about my artistry. And it immediately made a shift in my artistry. Um, which is kind of wild when you think about it. So, um, then I got Phantom and, uh, it changed my life. And, uh, I did the tour for almost three years, um, in about two years in, which we'll talk about, I had a vocal injury and, um, because I had a cough that had, um, basically I had a one-time trauma. I had a cough and a blood vessel enlarged. And, um, oh. I had, uh, surgery and 10 weeks of, uh, voice therapy that also was a huge pivotal point in changing my life. And in just realizing I had a lot of, I, I had a lot to learn about, um, the anatomy of the voice, how the voice works, function of the voice, all the stuff that I, I maybe skimmed. <laughs> in uh, my undergraduate years Um, and so I cared about that and I really wanted to learn about that and I worked with this voice therapist uh, Annette Kedar, speech language pathologist who taught me a lot about my voice, about injuries, about um, scopes. I mean I've scoped so many times I have like 50 pictures of that whole period Um, and we can go into that but Point is, I bounced back. I did Phantom again for another year, and then um, I was a long-term vacation swing for the Broadway company for the better part of the following year, and then um, an opportunity opened to go back to graduate school at Penn State. And I was like tooling around and working with students and wanting to, just like wanting to be a sponge and learn more. And I was ready and really wanted to learn more, and so I did it. And I, it was. It was kind of crazy because I was like really lucky and doing all these symphony gigs and I was subbing still at Phantom at times, but I finished my master's and then the COVID happened and I was on faculty this whole last year um, at Penn State. Now here we are.
1: Hmm. It was like a little windy tourney, but here we are. What a story. Yeah. So you describe when you got these other roles before Phantom. Yeah. As you put it, you felt like you were the shit. (laughs) And how did you feel when you got phantom? Had that changed or did you still feel that way?
0: No, it definitely changed. And I felt super, um, uh, I I felt inadequate. I felt not, I felt like I shouldn't be there. I felt like, what's going on? Like, is this really me here in this position? And I felt constantly self-doubting and very insecure. Pretty much the entire time I did it. Um, There were moments of, like, feeling awesome. But you can't, like, especially with a role... To be honest, with a role like that, you can't get too cocky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there's just too much to be thinking about. There's no time. There's no time to, like, be obsessed with yourself. Um, uh, There's just... I mean, I think a healthy balance of being obsessed with yourself is wonderful. But I think uh, there's just no time to, like revel in you and i i don't know i think um and i and i'd like to explore that a little bit more and what that looks like in in future roles that i do what that looks like without the layers of so much self-doubt um but the reality is i think most people are just feeling afraid and then doing it anyway and i find that in my teaching too sometimes i'm like will the right words come out and you know, I thought about that meeting with you. I like, will the right words come out? No, they won't. It'll never be right. So just like
1: do it anyway. (laughs) Well, everything you've said is just wonderful. So, because it's, because it's coming from you and I, um, yeah, I never imagined I'd be, you know, however many interviews in and I'd already have said a swear word, but here we are, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, but the thing is, is like, you just, gotta be you you know you've got to bring to the table what you have in the moment and you are so authentically you and it's one of the major reasons why I asked you to do this because I just think you are wonderful and I love um I love your story I mean there's so much that I learned just now when you were talking about it but what of what I had known and just going to school with you and everything um you were just always kind and uh So I really appreciate your honesty. I mean, if it's raw and whether, I mean, whether people want to agree or disagree, that's, that's really not the point, you know? Um, and, and everyone is so different that I've actually talked to, which is, is what makes it so awesome is that people are going to hear things differently. They're going to feel differently. And what you're saying is really going to speak to someone. And so I just feel really grateful that you are sharing this, and and you are just wonderful.
0: Well, thank you, Megan. You are too.
1: Thank you. Oh, I've just I've, I, I feel so emotional already, and I haven't even gotten into <laughs> several of the questions. Okay, but uh, I'm gonna try. It. I'm gonna try to pull it together. So, um, uh, first off, I don't I don't want to interrupt your story. If there was more that you wanted to tell, you had you had dug a little bit into. Um, your philanthropy oh yeah right so um so do you want to talk a little bit more about that maybe causes that you're passionate about uh you had talked about going to uh you've, you've been to Ghana is that correct
0: yeah so I taught in in West Africa and Ghana and then I also did a program with um it was a little bit of a longer term program with um real global poets um in Kenya and so that was during that was during my time in phantom but that was a A poetry exchange with uh, refugees in Kenya and Mm -hmm. so I I did that as well and yeah learned a lot from those students and continue to learn a lot from those students Mm. um and my experiences in both places but in the in the Michigan in the mid-Michigan area some friends and I so my friend Corey Blasi and Ryan Vandenboom and my brother Matt Travis and my friend Katie Miller and my other friend Thad von Tifflin, uh, we s- collaborated and started an um, organization to amplify BIPOC voices in the area and to allow for training and mentorship for BIPOC students to be able to have ha- re- very high level training in the arts so that they can have similar experiences as mine and interlocking, et cetera, and cetera, the the, sort of privileged training and experience that I was lucky enough to have, we are trying to make that available to BIPOC students in the
1: area. Can you tell our um, listeners what is BIPOC?
0: Yes. So it's black, indigenous and people of color. And so these are, um, it's exploring, uh, race and, and what privilege really is
1: wonderful and so remind remind us again when that is taking place
0: it's ongoing it's through the bay area community foundation so there's a, a website i will send it to you megan and then so it's i think it's bay if you just do bay area community foundation mm-hmm. backslash spark it'll come up right away Perfect. um we are ongoing um doing fundraising and raising money but starting next year we are sponsoring one student to have arts training for the year.
1: That is so great and I will, what I'll do is uh, when I promote this episode I'll I'll put that information in the link for people so they can awesome. see it. thanks Megan. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for doing something like that, that's just great. Um, so let's go back to Phantom for a second. I, yeah. I was watching some of your performances and I watched wishing you were somehow here again and I just had chills that went through my body and it just it just it took me by surprise because I'm watching somebody that I know and that I've heard sing many times in person and here I'm watching you on a screen and you saying that and it just within a minute just went through my body I thought your your range of emotion is so powerful. There is something very special and unique about you in the way that you perform. You said you had gotten an award for for being a, a singing actor. And I'm not surprised. I, I don't know what the reasons you were chosen for that particular thing, and this is coming from just my personal opinion. I may be biased, but you did kind of get a big role, so I think a lot of people think you're pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but there when you're singing, you make all these these facial expressions that you don't typically see with a, a performer at the highest level. It's almost like there's reservation with so many people on stage and you you have such a wide array of what you're doing, like from from surprise to grief to wonder. And you can see all of that happening. And you're not afraid to like contort your face and like do all these like things to get across what you're feeling. And I'm wondering, I mean, that just seems so vulnerable. And when I've worked with students, it's almost like they're sometimes afraid to not look, you know, good looking, beautiful, put together. Like when I, you know, and who looks, beautiful singing a high C that's what I always tell them like you've got to do what you got to do to 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 make that happen where did you learn the skill uh, or at what point in your journey did that did that happen for you where you were able to to show emotion in such um such a uniquely you sort of way I think
0: it's certainly been a journey over time I think working on monologues and scenes from, not from musicals and doing scene study class and Shakespeare class and really diving into actionable, actionable verbs and actionable words to really make things active, make, make the story active, um, and make the storytelling active, I think is really key. Yeah. Just, just, I think it doesn't, it's it's just, again, like there's not enough time when you're really in a story and thinking about like where, what is next as far as like what, what I'm, what is the next thing that I'm feeling? What is an actionable next um, for this person? There's just no time to be like, do I look weird? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you had to yeah. deal with that with your students?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, I think it's so... It is so vulnerable for any of us to get up on stage in front of other people. And it's so, I mean, constantly in in my own lessons, in my lessons with my students, it's like you're making weird sounds and you're doing really weird things and you have to be open to being weird and, <laughs> um, and to free yourself from yourself. Mm. Um, and know that you are, um, you are this person and you are telling a story in order to share the big part of the story with an audience. And so, um, if you're communicating that, then you're not really, like, what you look like isn't really a part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's a lot of years of, like, physical work, physical training shaking your sillies out all the you know all of those like warm-ups that seem dumb are actually just um ways to kind of get ourselves out of our own head and yeah so it's it's there's so much value in silly and weird and exploring I mean I think that's why like in the voice studio it's like exploring exploring all facets of the weird sounds that humans are able to make because there's something that you can take from a woo ya, like something like that is so valuable actually in i mean yodeling is so valuable in especially in musical theater and in pop singing but um you know just having that i don't know silliness to get out of your own head
1: oh i love it i love it yeah. so much because i'm sure so many people are thinking well, well what are we doing here and some of it the warm-ups we do, again, with good teachers too, it's intentional what you're getting at, but some of it is just releasing yourself, like freeing yourself from you. And you said that so perfectly. So let's let's talk about uh, your vocal injury because you and you had yeah. mentioned this earlier, um, but you this was a this was a like one time. This was a moment that changed mm-hmm. everything, right? So tell us yeah, about so that. Yeah, so
0: it is very hard to pinpoint the exact moment, but the type of so they called it, I mean, I think at the time they, you know, and in the like biopsy of it, they called it an enlarged blood vessel, but it's a it was a polyp of sorts. Um, and that happened from, they know it happened from a one-time hit. So I, I know that I had a cough. I had a pretty bad um, I had like allergies on top of this cold when I was in South Carolina we think it happened then, but it's unclear. Um, so I was still doing the show. I mean, it's not like it just like, like stopped making sounds. Um, I, but I knew that something was a little funky because I had been doing this show probably like almost 200 times at that point or something. And so I had, um, I knew what tired was cause like, let's be honest on a, you know, and and with that track, you're doing six six shows a week, but on an eight show week schedule, six eight show a week schedule, it's really hard, and you're mm-hmm. tired a lot. A hundred percent is different every day because you're just tired all the time. Um, it's not it's not like an it's really not an easy schedule, but uh, and I say that with love, and that it's like joyful and wonderful, but just that a hundred percent. I think in in my idea of like when I was in college and I did shows like on a weekend. I just had no idea what like a long run of a show was or like doing it every day, sometimes twice a day really meant and what that it takes vocally. But anyway, we know that this polyp happened from sort of one time something. So I came back from this cold that I had and I was doing the show and it was fine. Like I was singing okay, but I was just really tired by the end of the week so such as that it just didn't feel it didn't feel normal. Things didn't feel normal. Can you describe thought, that? Yeah, it just I just felt really tired, vocally tired. So it just felt like the end of the show was just rough for me. Although my at the time I was working with one of the Carlottas, So we'd meet like every week or every couple weeks for lessons and she she really was listening and she's like I can't really tell there was a particular so like the saddle off test is when you especially for females if we're talking about around that like b4 c5 area when you're singing just like lightly also around like f4 f4 g g4 um if you sing lightly happy birthday and you kind of are feeling like um there's either gaps in the sound or there's some sort of like fuzz then it's um something worth going to an ent for for sure but i and i was i was feeling it wasn't a gap in the sound it was just like a little fuzzy like that i just had this didn't have the same kind of clarity there but you know i was singing high C's every day and the C's were fine um so it's it's interesting like how and that's pretty common in like the research that i've done and from friends that have had injuries and that's that's a pretty common thing is that it's not like it unless it's a hemorrhage which the sound can just stop right but otherwise there's there's capability in the sound I mean a lot of a lot of singers on Broadway have some sort of prenodule um, you know just because of the schedule mm. and so but they're singing and they sound fine and it's you know a lot of country singers there's you know a lot of pop singers there's just it's um, and I have some statistics actually there there is some sort of pathology on many 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 professional singers and we you continue to do it or you find a way to work around it or you take voice rest when you need it or you find or you work with a speech language pathologist or you find a way to um you work with a great ent and and go through surgical procedure but so what was tricky was that i was on tour so i went to i was in indianapolis and i went to the one of the voice centers there and that was the first time i Knew that there, I had some sort of pathology, and so they did a scope. Which I say this to everyone: if you do not have a baseline scope, everyone, every professional voice user, teachers, anyone who uses their voice regularly, should get a baseline scope so that you know what your vocal folds look like in a healthy place. So, however you you can do that, you got to do it. Um, I really believe in that because everybody's got, you know, unique components of their own vocal folds and who knows like you know maybe there was some form of that blood vessel from years prior and it just exacerbated this cough exacerbated it we don't know because I didn't have a baseline scope so um you know and I think it's really important for college professors if you if there's any way you can get your studio in to get scoped you should so I uh yeah so I go to Indianapolis they see the thing they're like I mean, it's not... So the the interesting part was it was not on the vibrational margin. So if we're talking about vibrational margin, like right where the vocal folds come together, it wasn't there. It was on the side of the fold. So that is um, indication that it doesn't come from some sort of like... um, If we're going to call it technical misuse or something uh, Mm -hmm. of the voice, or it it didn't come from any type of phonation. I, I hate saying that because... Uh, so many people with incredible technique have vocal injuries. If so, it wasn't caused from phonating; it was caused from whatever sneeze, cough, something one time, one time hit. It's blood vessel enlarged to try to say, "Hey, vocal folds, I'm going to try to protect you." Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was there. So what happens is, and it, and and having it is not actually. And there's probably a lot of voice users, people that are not singers professional singers that have something like this but just don't know or it doesn't really matter for their lifestyle but what happens is so something like that on the side of the vocal fold starts to feel like if you're running it's like you have like a 30 pound weight on one side so you're compensating on the other side right and ultimately we know like if you run say we run three miles which maybe is the equivalent of the two and a half hours of constant singing a phantom. That's probably more like 10 miles, I don't know. But if you're running 10 miles with a 30 pound weight on one side, imagine like that's gonna like, it's gonna like derf with your hips, it's gonna mess with your other leg, it's gonna like, you're gonna compensate and by the end like your back's gonna hurt, like it's just like your body's off center, right? So that's basically what happened. And so I was feeling tired because This vocal fold with a 30-pound weight is working extra with the 30-pound weight, and this vocal fold is trying to help and, like, trying to do the extra work because this one is a little sluggish, right? So it's not that the phonation can't happen. It's just that the phonation is happening with a lot of extra work. Mm -hmm. Like, I could probably run 10 miles or I could get through it with that 30-pound weight, but it's not going to feel great, and that was sort of kind of the comparison but in Indianapolis, they were like, you're okay to do the show, just take it easy and let's, let's explore what happens if you take a week off for vocal rest. So I took some vocal rest time and nothing changed, which was expected because it wasn't created from phonation. So when you have any kind of like swelling or edema or um, even nodules with, with voice rest time, it's going to hopefully help it in some sort of way help with this pathology but that but that wasn't the case for me so it didn't it didn't really help at all
1: so could so, you so could you sorry. clarify even though it wasn't caused um by phonation yeah the fact that you were singing all the time was putting you at risk because you had this thing happening and you needed to try to figure it out and you needed to care for yourself in a certain way, and it was difficult because of the position you were in in the role of, of Christine.
0: Yeah, so specifically with something like what I had, which for, for all intents and purposes we'll call a polyp, um, it can hemorrhage, so it can, the vocal, which which what happens is the blood vessel on the vocal fold is sort of like, it looks kind of like a little ladybug, is what sort of like mine looked like, and what happens is it, the blood vessel like a like a blister on your skin right if it pops then if that's happening on the vocal fold what happens is it's connected to the vessel a blood vessel within the vocal fold and what can happen is it hemorrhages and the vocal folds can get sort of this like kind of paresis like some sort of like pause and the vocal folds are like ah what's going on and when that happens, when a hemorrhage happens, vocal rest immediately is, is suggested mm-hmm. um, for long-term voice care. Um, and so I was at risk of a hemorrhage. Um, and a lot of people, so again, I don't have the percentage of hemorrhages, but hemorrhages happen frequently for people who are doing high-demand, high-level singing all the time. Um, and it so it's not it's not a crazy it's not unheard of, it's not weird. It's just hemorrhages happen. um but because this thing was just sitting there and it was fatiguing, what it can also do is so you're at risk of hemorrhage and you're also at risk potentially of nodule because with the weight on this one and then this one working extra hard, your vocal folds are rubbing together in a funky way that they're not used to. And so, like anything, when anything rubs constantly, mm-hmm. you can get a callus of sorts. And so that's what could happen. So I was I was at risk of that as well. The the people at Indianapolis who were spe- voice specialists and singing singing specialists uh, did not feel like it was necessary to leave the show at that time or have surgery at that time. I then went on and continued to do the show. Although I was starting to do it at kind of a a more limited schedule, so I would do like seven shows a week or, uh, or, or, sorry, I was usually doing six, so I would do like five. I would take one off just to kind of try to play around with what I was able to do. So then I went to Ann Arbor. This is all kind of boring information. The point is I went to multiple singing voice specialists, um, both ENTs and speech language pathologists, and I got pretty conflicting advice. The advice was to continue to sing, but to take it easy or to voice rest when needed, but it's hard. I mean, take it easy. doesn't exist when you're playing Christine Dye. It's just, it's a, it's a tough thing. It's two and a half hours long and it's every day.
1: Yeah. How Um, does that affect your job? I mean, how much are you allowed to take and how I would have no idea how any of that works.
0: Yeah, so thankfully, the company, um, because because injuries, again, are common, and um, both for dancers on a physical level and for singers, um, the company, and from my understanding, that's not the case for all companies, but Phantom and the producers were very supportive of my journey and my journey into recovery and rehabilitation. So that was, I was open, honest, candid with them about everything, and they were, supportive the entire time. Um, so I was very lucky in that regard, but from the minute I knew I had it, I called one of the main producers and said like, this is what's going on. Um, I'm working through this. This is what these doctors recommend. You know, just was open about it because the last thing somebody wants is someone to surprise them and be like, surprise, I've had this thing for months and Mm -hmm. now I need to take a leave of absence. Like that's not cool. So, um, Ultimately, I was still feeling this like major fatigue, and um, I knew it wasn't really fair to continuously be. And the the coverage I had um, always have had amazing. I had an amazing alternate, amazing covers, and they're wonderful. And they you know got the opportunity. They they went on more. I mean, it's like everybody was benefiting. But ultimately, you can't do that for a long period of time when you're calling out constantly or you know once a week or so or a couple times a week it's just like i needed to figure this out and um so i was in cleveland and i saw michael benninger who's um an incredible ent there and he's a specialist who's worked with all the major opera singers and and many major broadway um stars and he saw it and was like, I just, it's, this isn't going to get better unless you have surgery. It's just, is not going to, it's not, there's no way, like, it's like, it would be like up the 30 pound weight that you just cannot get off your leg. And so like constantly walking on it or running on it is, is not going to help the problem. He uh, recommended that I have surgery and that I work through with a speech language pathologist and, and I did. And so I stayed there, had surgery in Cleveland, and then I worked for 10 weeks with Annette Kedar, who was a speech-language pathologist, who is a speech-language pathologist in New York. Um, and she would, she had a um, laryngoscope in her office, and so we, she would scope me, we would talk about what we were seeing. We looked at things from a really in-depth level from anatomy and we worked through learning to sing again post-injury and she um together we got back into shape vocal shape and physical shape and ever all the shapes to be able to go back and play christine again for a year yeah and i will say i felt a lot of shame and i was really quiet about it um and Now I try to talk about as much as I can because looking at statistics, um, which I'll sort of work through for a a second, but you felt shame about your injury. Yes, for sure. For sure. And I felt like, um, you know, people would think I like had bad technique, couldn't sing, couldn't get through it, you know, couldn't handle the pressure, whatever, whatever I thought in my head, um, which scientifically medically just wasn't true and quite frankly it doesn't matter even if it was true even if it was something from a you know um, an injury that was caused by phonating a lot because that's what people do on an HOV week schedule it's hard it's a lot um, you know athletes get injured all the time and i found it really interesting i the, that summer it was the summer i can't remember the year maybe 20 16 actually I can't remember to be honest with you but uh whenever the summer Olympics were mm-hmm. in the teens and I was watching these gymnasts they were like heroes it's you know they'd say like so and so is like back from six arm surgeries or whatever mm-hmm. and it was like amazing and I'd watch these women like kill it after six arm surgeries and I mean it wasn't six arm surgeries but you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. um and you know it's like we glorify athletes For making comebacks and singers are like so quiet about it and I think it's because um I think it's because so much of our voice feels like our soul or like feels like us Mm -hmm. feels like who we are and like if you messed up in like how you used your voice then you like Really messed up or something. I don't know. Yeah, like you, I, I'm you just...
1: messed up. Like you did yeah. something wrong.
0: Yeah, it's about the rea- who you
1: are. Yeah. The
0: reality is, we don't say about football players who you know maybe like aren't they're on the bench because they sprain their ankle. Well, the reality is they they may have been running and running with like improper technique and like derfed their ankle, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody says that. Nobody says like they weren't they weren't running on the balls of their feet. You know, maybe they were running a little far back and twisted or something. Nobody does that. But we do that about singers all the time. We say, well, they were singing like, mm. you know, um, whatever. They were singing blankety-blank of a
1: style, which drives me
0: crazy. I um, think of
1: I think of Adele. When you bring this up, the first sure. person that comes to my mind is Adele.
0: Sure. And you know Adele's schedule? That schedule is so crazy. I mean, a touring schedule like that, you're doing Every day, you're singing a full, you know, hour to two-hour show of really intense singing. She's amazing. She's amazing. And also, you're doing press stuff probably all day. You're sleeping on buses. If you're not sleeping on buses, you're sleeping on planes. You're expected to go out and, like, meet with donors and, like, rich people who paid for whatever stage you're on after the show. There's so many expectations. You're on whatever radio show, you're making your music video, you're recording your next album while you're on tour. Like, let's just talk about that and the pressure on a person to excel all the time and to kill it all the time when you're on that kind of schedule. It's not human. It's really not. And I, I just, I'm really I'm really fascinated by that idea that we, we don't say that football player ran on their heel and sprained it. But we say like Adele was singing improperly and saying, you know, it's like, it doesn't, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I'm really interested on it, in it um, from a feminist perspective because also um, females, because first of all, um, the vocal folds are stretched more, right? Because we're singing higher, so often the vocal folds are uh, being stretched more and they're thinner. So, and because if if we're singing at a higher pitch, if we're singing a higher octave, right? They're the the vibrations. The vocal folds have to vibrate; they have to oscillate faster. So, they're cla- if we're talking about clapping as far as making sounds, mm-hmm. males might be clapping at this speed. Females are clapping at this speed. Plus. If you're on your period you're going to have more swelling of the folds Mm -hmm. so your folds are swollen plus you're oscillating at maybe twice the speed of your male counterparts Mm -hmm. so you you're at more of a risk potentially of injury of certain types of injury because you actually are moving faster and potentially more swollen and the expectation of female singers, you know, like high belting, high, 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 everything's high. Right. And so, I mean, it is for males too, in some ways is like singing up in the stratosphere, but I do think there is some component of like, you always hear about the women who have injuries and I, I just find it really interesting,
1: weird. I love that. What's your cat's name? <laughs> His name is Zorro. Zorro, I love it. I was trying not to l- let him get a cameo, but he kind no, of no. It's, it's good, <laughs> Zorro.
0: I love it. Um, no, but you know, you think about that, and um, <laughs> I mean, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm a very uh, liberal person. You can tell, and it is what it is. But you know, there's that saying, like anything you can do, I can do bleeding. Um, but it's real. <laughs> it's really, honestly, real. And so and women are at higher risk of polyps and blood vessel um enlargement because of that reason. So, just saying that, um I'm going off on sort of t- a lot of tangents here.
1: This is but, all this is all great. Please keep going.
0: Yeah, I just think um it's we ha- there's a lot of expectations on singers. It's very uh especially at a very high level, you know, even in my time at Phantom like I was doing press stuff all the time, I was like you know taking pictures for this thing doing this news thing doing this radio thing and singing the show every day all the time and you know fancy people would come and I would you know there's just like pressure there is a level of pressure that you feel Mm -hmm. and it's both exhilarating and exciting and also um it's a lot it's Mm -hmm. a lot and so I think um I think there's been there was so much that came from my my time with both um, Michael Benninger, the ENT that I worked with, and Annette Kedar, and coming back to a company who was so supportive and just wanted me to do well and excel. And um, and I uh, that was like a lovely like teenager voice that I just had, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I I just bouncing back was. Tough. I had a lot of just like nervous, spiraling thoughts, and working to work with my anxiety and work with my performance anxiety to still believe in myself and to believe in my voice and that my voice matters and that um, I I had a right to take up space and deserve to be there. It was actually really empowering um coming back from the injury because i you know that moment when i first made sounds again after all that time of voice rest um was really powerful and um yeah i just i just feel really grateful for that experience because it also put me in check about wanting to learn more about the voice about people making sounds about why we make sounds, and how we make sounds, and h- how it all works. Um, and so that was really important and crucial time in my vocal journey, both for me as a performer, but also as a teacher. And I just want to say, like, so looking at s- just some studies, you know, there was a, and this was in 1999, actually, through the Journal of Voice, but they did um, they did a survey of people seeing all types of music. and uh, it was 50 to 70 percent of singer, professional singers had, had, had experienced some type of pathology or vocal injury. Um, in the and it, that one's actually very interesting because they break it down in um, opera, musical theater mm. and, and pop singers. And granted 1999, that's a very different time in especially in musical theater mm-hmm, worlds because mm-hmm. we're just we're just starting to get more into like the avidas and the super high belting for women although men you know uh men are singing up in their chest voice up in the stratosphere at that point but we're, we're really exploring what that means for women to be singing up there um in a higher belt mm-hmm. and so what uh anyway so it's it's a different time however the numbers are really interesting and they're not that different um the percentage of i think musical theater is a little bit higher for um nodules and polyps but the overall it's not much and the overall percentage for each one is not that different and so Mm -hmm. this stigma about certain styles of singing or like belting is bad or whatever it is um I think that conversation is just dated and I mean I think we know that to be true we know that to be true that it's just dated and it just comes from a lack of understanding um and knowledge and so having more knowledge about how to do these things is really really important and um both as a teacher and a performer you know
1: so what advice would you give to singers or singing teachers as far as approaching vocal health and avoiding some of the things that you've had to, uh, had to go through?
0: Well, I would say, you know, I was really cautious. So, um, you know, hydrating a lot, drinking teas sleeping by humidifiers, voice resting all the time, staying away from loud spaces, pretty much constantly thinking about the state of my voice and where things were for the show that night. So um, I was very cautious and yet I still had an injury. So um, I will say it is so important to maintain those things, sleep a lot, drink a lot of water, Uh, limit. So for if you're drinking alcohol make sure you're supplementing with water and make sure you're not in loud spaces where you're because you're drinking the alcohol you're yelling and being loud um you know really being being good to yourself and taking quiet time and voice rest time those are key um but i think so i guess to prevent like you know i I think um I think when you can limiting how much limiting the cough and trying to not have a crazy abrasive cough when you can, but also sometimes you can't prevent that, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's just real. So you try to control what you can, and then you understand that if something happens, um, that you can go, there are so many major resources that you can go to. So finding ENTs that are knowledgeable about working with singers. Um, Just here in Michigan, the people in Ann Arbor are incredible. I worked with Dr. Hoagiki and he was really amazing. So you'd be surprised, although they're not everywhere, but you can find them when you start talking to other singers and teachers. And um, also working with, as a voice teacher working to have more knowledge about injury and pathology and then working with teachers who also who have that knowledge and who understand um the vulnerability Mm -hmm. of it because it's a really vulnerable thing to rehabilitate to habilitate and to come back um entering and singing again Mm -hmm. um yeah and i i would also say that it's more about the response when it happens is like how how can you be so if it happens how can you be active about this you know and how can what can you learn from this in your own practice and in your own voice you know um but not be shameful about it you know Mm. like if you did get an injury because maybe you were at a lot of loud bars and you know hollering and hooting that karaoke bars all the time don't be too hard on yourself just learn how to move forward Mm -hmm. you know and I would say
1: we're humans first. yeah
0: we're humans and I and I just and if there's some sort of like misstep along the way that you feel you took then just say great here's how I'm moving forward because that football player might say you know what I'm not gonna run on my heels again but I don't I will never shame somebody for running on their heels or whatever it was. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's too vulnerable and it's it doesn't allow for people to be triumphant um post a really hard time. Hmm. And I think we should be rooting for everyone to be triumphant post a really hard time. Can we just say like post covid for example, anything. Let's just like root for people post hard times. <laughs>
1: I love it, I love it. Um, This goes back to why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we do music? And we are people first, but music is such a part of who we are. It is connected to us and it's very personal and very vulnerable. But I love the way that you say that giving music, performing um, is a way of of giving love. And I, I wonder at what point in your life did you make that connection? Pretty early on, um,
0: pretty early on as a kid. I remember This is a very funny memory. Not funny, but really powerful. Actually. I remember when I was six, my grandma died and, um, my mom around that time had been sharing with me some of the protest songs from the sixties and seventies. Um, And she shared with me, We Shall Overcome, which is that hymn, a spiritual. And um, I remember sitting in the back of the car after my grandma's funeral and starting to just sing We Shall Overcome. And I don't think I quite understood, like I just kind of put it together that like that was a a song people sang when they were like needing um, to be uplifted in some way. Um, and, but I remember just, like, feeling really good that, like, my whole family started singing that together, and, like, that was a moment where we felt a little better, um, because of a song. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really it's really been an unbelievable time for the arts, um, for everyone, for everyone on this planet. It's been unbelievable, the trauma and challenges that everyone has faced in the last year and a half. And, um, it's been really, yeah, it's been really hard without the hope of, um, singing again professionally just being honest and um even even auditioning regularly um and I'm not at all comparing this to the loss that we've all experienced but there is something about as an individual when you're auditioning it even even when it's hard you're feeling hopeful that like there's going to Like, you're going to get to do this again and share those, like, beautiful musical moments with people again. And to not have that has been hard. And there have been some really beautiful moments of stillness and unconventional music that's been made. And um, also time to be quiet and to listen, and the music that we're going to make and that we continue to march on to is going to be so much more, I I don't have the right words, but so much more powerful and um, with all of our being because we've experienced all that we've experienced this last year and a half. I'm grateful to artists who have given that to me and I look forward to listening more and, and amplifying those voices around me, especially people of color, and also finding where my voice matters in all of this too. And um, really trying to use music and my voice for good in this world really matters to me. It's not saving lives per se, but I think that we all desperately need um, just to feel a little better from a song.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experiences and your wisdom and your heart. I just love you so much. I think you're just just awesome. And You too, um, my friend. How so how can our listeners uh, how can they find you? How can they connect with you?
0: Yeah, so my Instagram is at Katie J Travis. Um, and my website is dot Um I'm also on Facebook, Katie Travis. Yay! 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 <laughs> love well, you, Megan, you're love, awesome. Love you
1: too. Thank you for listening to Sing Coach Conduct. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button.